Good morning, church family. It's a blessing to be in God's house today. Joy to hear the testimonies, to see what God is doing in your school, and uh, just a joy to be a part of your church family. I don't know about you, but uh, whenever an evangelist is in town and he is preaching Sabbath morning, opening weekend, I'm a little nervous. Can I say that? And the reason I'm a little nervous is because I know what he's going to preach, right? What's he going to preach? Come on, help me out here, church. Okay, Sabbath, okay, he's gonna, he might talk about the Sabbath, okay? It's, sat, it's the beginning of the meeting, though, so it's not yet thick into the thick of it where he's going to talk about the Sabbath. It's at the very beginning. What's he going to talk about? The love of God? Oh, that's good. How about this? Get out there and do your job and get your friends and your neighbors and everybody here to my meetings. Okay, that, that's, I shouldn't tell you how cynical I, I, I am, should I? Um, that's, that's what I always expect that the evangelist is going to do because, because that's what they tend to always do. So I thought that we would study the book of Mark and we're going to look at all of these times where Jesus says... Shut up and don't tell, I'm sorry if that's an offensive word to you, be quiet and don't tell anyone about me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we join here together today to study the Bible, to seek your face, to learn about our Savior, Jesus. As we open the Word, God, we ask that you would be our teacher, that you would open our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Mark was originally written as an oral performance. You realize that the vast majority of first century Human beings were illiterate. Maybe 3% of the population could read. And so the culture of the early Christian church was actually an oral culture, a storytelling culture. Um, In Mark chapter 1, we actually have the voice of the narrator, okay? And the narrator says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, this is an interesting statement. The first thing that we notice is the use of the word gospel. The word gospel means good news, and the word gospel, good news, was often used in the context of military conflict. So, if you are a wife, and you're a mother, and your sons and your father, or your sons and your husband are off in battle. And then as the sun is setting, you hear the announcement, good news, good news. The first thing that goes through your head is, ah, there is a chance I will see my son again. There is a chance I will see my husband again. There's a chance that the battle is going in our favor and my family will be coming home. Good news, good news. 
the narrator opens up the opening lines of the, of the book of Mark by basically saying there is a spiritual battle at work on this planet and that spiritual battle is going in our favor with the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, from this verse, we know, okay, just follow with me here, we know number one, the narrator knows that Jesus is the Son of God. The narrator knows that Jesus is the Son of God. Notice Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. It, at the same time, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, verse 10. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Can I ask the AV team back there to switch to the NIV here? Can you do that? And we'll just use the NIV throughout the rest if that's okay. The NIV actually notices something really important here in verse 10. A critical, fascinating point. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens being, what are, what, what are those next few words there? Torn open. Did you ever think about that? Did you ever notice that before? I, I tell you, for me, that's mind-blowing text, right? When Jesus was baptized, it is as if God Himself is tearing the heavens and the earth open, the heavens open, and making a path for God Himself to be here. Now notice what God says, verse, verse 11, Mark 1, verse 11, and a voice, all right? God is tearing the heavens, and the Spirit of God is coming through that tear. And God says, you are my, what? Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. It's fascinating. Here in Mark 1, verse 1, we know the narrator knows who Jesus is. He is Messiah, the Son of God. In Mark chapter 1, verse 11, we know that God knows who Jesus is. You follow me here this morning. God knows that Jesus is His beloved Son. Now, we'll go to our next text, Mark chapter 1, verse 21. Mark 1, verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach, verse 22. And we're going to read actually through verse 26. Verse 22, the people were amazed at His teaching because He taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Listen to these words. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, I just want, to, you want you to think about this for a minute minute church. Here you are sitting at church enjoying nice Sabbath morning and you have a special speaker in town. In this case it was Jesus. He was teaching in a way that was absolutely new and fresh and with authority and all of a sudden somebody sitting near you starts freaking out. 
What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The narrator in Mark knows who Jesus is. God in Mark knows who Jesus is. And what do we find out here? The demons in Mark know who he is, the Holy One of God. Next slide, verse 25. Be, what's Jesus' response? Be quiet. And I, 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 I notice, be quiet, said Jesus, how? Sternly. Be quiet. Come out of him. Now, this is an incredible pattern that we begin to see. Mark chapter 1, we're going to read 32, 33, and 34. Mark chapter 1, look there in verse 32. They left the synagogue. Jesus goes to Simon's house and heals Simon's mother-in-law. And then, verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. And I want you to notice this fascinating language, but he would not let the demons speak. Why? Because they knew who he was. Now, church, I tend to think about the job of the Christian church as being, making known who Jesus is. Isn't that what you kind of imagine? Like, why is the Templeton Hills Seventh-day Adventist Church in existence? The reason that we exist is to make Jesus known, to communicate who Jesus is. So in Mark 1, God knows who Jesus is. Mark 1, the uh, narrator knows who Jesus is. Then the demons know who Jesus is. But, but Jesus refuses to let the demons tell the truth about who He is. The Holy One, the Son of God. It's kind of I don't know, some of you are looking at me like, this is really weird, okay? Some of you feeling like, wow, this is is kind of weird stuff, isn't it? What's going on here in this text of Scripture? And fascinatingly enough, it it continues over and over again. Look at Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. We're going to start around verse 11. There's crowds of people following Jesus. Jesus was doing amazing things and people were coming from all over just to touch Him. In verse 11 it says, Whenever the evil spirits saw Him, they fell down before Him and cried out, What? You are the Son of God. Next slide, verse 12. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Isn't that fascinating? Again, the book opens 
with the narrator announcing Jesus is the Son of God. The next scene you see is God announcing Jesus is my beloved Son. He is this conduit between heaven and earth. God announces that. The narrator announces it. Now the demons, the the moment they see Jesus, they say, you're the Son of God. And Jesus says, quiet up. Quiet up. Fascinating. Mark 5. Mark chapter 5. Again, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. He lives in the tombs and he's bound with chains. He's cutting himself. And in verse 7, he comes into contact with Jesus and the man shouted at the top of his lungs, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. I mean, he he sees Jesus. He's cutting himself. His arms and his body is bloodied. He has chains on his legs and his arms. He lives in the tombs. And when he sees Jesus, he cries out, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of Most High God? And Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him, come out of this man, you what? Evil spirit. Now, fascinatingly enough, in this one, Jesus doesn't say be quiet. He drives the demons into the pigs, and the pigs run into the, into the sea, and so they are quieted up by death. Now, it's not just the demons who are told to be quiet. Mark chapter 5 in verse 43. Mark 5 verse 43. He has resurrected the Roman ruler's daughter. Jesus shows up. The ruler comes to him asking to heal his daughter, and Jesus is on the way to provide healing for the daughter, and on the way they're delayed, and in the delay the daughter dies, and, and everybody says, oh, don't, don't trouble the master any further, she's dead, and Jesus, Jesus says that classic line, she's not dead, she's sleeping, and, gee, and they mock him, and they laugh at him, and he shows up, and, and he says those beautiful little words, you know, Little girl, arise. I love that language. It's so, to me, it's so tender, you know. I have a little girl, and it's just easy to put myself in that circumstance. Little girl, arise, and she gets up, and she's healed. Now, look, there's a crowd of people. This guy is a prominent person. Actually, there was a Gentile military fortress near this town, And the response Jesus gives here is interesting. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. Does that strike you as weird? Look, I I don't mean any disrespect when I say it's weird. I I mean, it just seems kind of foreign to my way of thinking. I, I think the story of Jesus is so wonderful, everybody needs to know about it. That's That's how I tend to feel about it. So what is going on in these passages? 
Do, 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 do you feel the tension in the text here? And this isn't the only time it happens. Mark 7, verse 36. Mark 7, verse 36. It's a, it's a really awesome section of Scripture. Jesus is beginning to expand the ministry beyond the borders of Israel. He heals the Syrophoenician woman. He then goes to um, the uh, area of Decapolis and he heals a deaf and mute man. The guy couldn't speak and Jesus looses his tongue. Now, now can you imagine how oppressive life must be as a mute human being? Can you imagine how hard that would be to live life unable to communicate with your voice? And then Jesus comes and looses his tongue, gives him the ability to communicate. And look what Jesus says. (laughs) Come on. Mark 7 verse 36, Jesus commanded them what? Don't tell anyone. Can you imagine how hard that must be? I mean, you tell somebody who's lived their life unable to speak, you miraculously give them the ability to speak, and then you say, don't tell anybody about this. What is going on here? In the middle of Mark... And fascinatingly enough, our pastor here spoke about this last week. So we're going to look at the middle of Mark, Mark chapter 8. And we're going to notice something really significant that's happening in Mark 8 and 9. There's a, it's called a Mark sandwich, okay? It's actually what they're called, um, Mark sandwiches, okay? So Mark writes stories that work together, and so they're kind of like sandwiches. You know how sandwiches have multiple layers? You know, you've got your bread, and then you have your, um, uh, your, your spread, and then you put your veggie cheese on, and then you put your veggie meat on, and then you put your avocado on, and then you put bread on. You know, sandwiches are multi-layered. And so in the book of Mark, Mark uses all of these sandwich stories, so there's, they're, they're literally called by, by the people that write books about this stuff, Mark and Sandwiches. So we're going to have a Mark and Sandwich here for our spiritual lunch. So in Mark chapter 8, we're going to begin in, let's say, verse um, uh, 27. Jesus is with his disciples. They're going to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? Now, now I want you to understand here, this is a huge question, right? This is a big question. The opening line of the book, this is about the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. And then a few verses later, you've got God saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Then you have the demon saying, this is the Son of God. And all along, Jesus is like, quiet, shh, don't tell anyone. Now, here we are towards the middle end of the book, and and Jesus says, hey, 
What are people saying about me? Who am I? Verse 28, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. Verse 29, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Okay. Now, is that getting kind of close? Is that getting kind of close? Yeah. Mark doesn't say what God said. What did God say? You are my beloved son. Okay. So Peter, Peter doesn't say what God said. You're my beloved son. But he's getting kind of close. He says you're the Christ, the Messiah. Verse 30. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about them. Are you getting frustrated yet? Or is it just me? Like what? <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Now, this is where things get interesting. How many of you have ever had somebody tell about you? in a way that wasn't accurate. Come on. Anybody here had that experience? Yeah? Okay. It's important for Jesus to be clear about who He is when people tell about Him. You follow me here? Okay. Now, look what happens next. Look what happens next. Verse 31 Peter says, you are the Christ. Jesus says, don't tell anybody. And now we begin to see why. Verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be, verse 32, killed and after three days rise again. Verse 32, he spoke plainly about this. Okay, how did Jesus communicate this? He communicated it in plain language, okay? I would just imagine. I know I'm short. I'm going to come down here. Can you imagine Jesus? You're, you're Peter, and, and who, who do you say I am? And, and, and you're Peter, and you say, well, you're the Christ, right? And I'm like, okay, great. Don't tell anybody. Very soon, very soon I'm going to be rejected I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be nailed to the cross. I'm going to be slaughtered and killed on a cross. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Is that plain, yes or no? Can you, we can understand that language, right? Okay, what, is, what, is, what, what then happens? He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to what? Rebuke him. Verse 33. But Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, and he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of who? Wow. Jesus is not interested in Peter running around telling everyone that Jesus is the Messiah because Peter doesn't yet know what the Messiah really is all about.
This is further confirmed in the next kind of little story there, verse 2 of chapter 9. So we're going to go to chapter 9. We're going to look in verse 2. I want you to see what happens here. Mark 9, beginning in verse 2, after six days. So six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, and he led them up a high mountain where they were all alone, and there he was transfigured before them. Okay? So they go up the mountain. And Jesus is transfigured. They start to see Jesus in all His glory. Verse 2, verse 3. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Verse 4. And there appeared before them Moses, Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus... Now, Imagine, put yourself here. Is this a mind-blowing experience? Yes. Okay. And Peter said, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Can you imagine how absolutely heartbreaking it must have been for Jesus to hear that. I mean, Jesus, Jesus, I mean, Jesus is kind, but Jesus must have felt completely gutted by that. Like, guys, you don't get it. In fact, notice what happens next. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Okay, all right, maybe we'll give him some grace, Peter, right? You just said something totally stupid and ignorant, Peter, but I guess we'll give you a pass because you're scared. Verse 8, then a cloud appeared and enveloped them. How does God feel about what Peter just said? Hey, hey, Jesus, it's so good we're here. We're going to build you a sanctuary and Moses a little temple and, and Elijah we're going to build. You know, we're going to take care of you. We, we don't know what to say. We're scared out of our minds. And then God says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And they were scared before God talked. How does, again, what do we see here? God knows who Jesus is. Amen? Now, suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And they were coming down the mountain. Jesus gave them orders. Again, what does Jesus say? Don't tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead, okay? Guys, don't tell anybody about this until I am resurrected from the dead. Now, notice our next slide. But they kept the matter, they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Okay, okay. Uh, I mean, this is just crazy. Jesus has just told them, guys... I'm going to be nailed to a cross. I'm going to be rejected. The Romans and the Jewish leaders are going to kill me. And then I'm going to be raised from the dead. They don't get it. Then they hear the voice of God proclaiming that Jesus is the Son. 
and that Jesus is going to be resurrected. Jesus lets them know I'm going to be resurrected. Don't tell anybody this until after I'm resurrected. And they're like, hey, um, um, you know, when we were talking with Jesus the other day after that crazy experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, what do you think he meant when he said that he was going to die and then be resurrected? Jesus didn't want these guys talking about who he was because they were so blinded by their preconceived ideas, they couldn't know who Jesus really was. Do you get me here, church? They couldn't imagine the Son of God, Messiah, dying on a cross. They couldn't imagine it. And so Jesus said, don't talk about this. You can't talk about it because you won't be telling the right story about me. Now, this is where things get kind of interesting to me. Mark 14, Jesus is before the Sanhedrin. The high priest stood up. I'm in verse 60, Mark 14, verse 60. The high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus. Mark chapter 14, verse 60. The high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? Verse 61. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Okay, this is the question of the whole book. The narrator announces it in chapter 1, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. God announces it at the baptism. This is my beloved Son. At the Mount of Transfiguration, he announces it, the beloved Son. But all through the rest of the book, anytime anybody got the idea that he was the Son of God, Messiah, Jesus was like, quiet, 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 quiet. Don't tell anyone because your idea of the Son of God and your idea of Messiah are just wrong. And I don't want you talking about me because you don't get it. Now here, at the end of the book, at the end of the book, Jesus is on trial before the high priest, and the high priest asks the question the whole book of Mark centers around, are you the Christ, the Son of the Most High God, and what does Jesus say? Yes, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming on the clouds of heaven. At this, the high priest loses it and says, time to kill him. Time to kill him. Why at this juncture, why at this moment in the book of Mark, has Jesus, who has been telling everyone, shh, 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 about the Jesus, the Messiah, High uh, Son of God, why has Jesus through his whole ministry been quiet, 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 
And now the switch is flipped, and when he's asked, he's like, yep, that's who I am. Because the truth, listen to me, church, because the truth about the Messiah, the Son of God, is only seen in the slaughtered Christ on the cross. You know what, do you know what Jesus is saying here throughout the book of Mark? If all you think about me is that I'm a wonder worker who fixes your problems, you don't get the truth about who I am. I am God slaughtered for the sins of mankind. That's who I am. And if you don't get that, you best just shut up about me. Now, we're going to go to Mark 16, Mark 15, pardon me, Mark 15, verse 33, our scripture reading, Mark 15, verse 33, Mark 15, verse 33, it's the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land. I mean, you know, last night I was out front, I get a little anxious, particularly before opening night of a Bible prophecy seminar and was out walking around and I looked off in the distance in the hillside and there are some, some uh, power towers over there, you know, with wires and whatnot and, and uh, from a distance as the sun was setting. You know what it looked like? It looked like three crosses on the hill. And I thought, what a great reminder to me as I'm beginning to speak God's Word to God's people. Here it is, the sixth hour, and darkness is over the whole face of the earth. It's, it's high noon in the valley of the shadow of death, and it's dark. From noon to three, it's dark. Verse 34, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here is Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God, hanging on a cross. And what does He feel? Abandoned, forsaken, lost. Verse 35. When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah, verse 36. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a stick. He offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down to take, comes to take him down, he said, verse 37. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. I'm not asking in all the Gospels. I'm asking in this Gospel, what do we see in the death of Jesus? We see Jesus dying on a cross, feeling completely and totally abandoned and forsaken. That's what we see. Verse 38. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was, what's that word? Torn in two from top to bottom. Does that word torn ring a bell in your mind from our earlier study today? 
Listen to this. At the beginning of the book, when Jesus is baptized, the heavens were torn open and the Spirit of God descended on Jesus and proclaimed, Jesus is the beloved Son of God. Now here, 15 chapters later, Jesus Christ has breathed His last, apparently dying, abandoned from God. And what is torn now? Not the heavens are torn, but the temple curtain is torn into verse 39. Listen to the next words. When the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, now I want you to stop here because I want you to imagine a centurion was the one that would have been there nailing Jesus' hands to the cross. He was there nailing His feet to the cross. He was there plunging the spear into the side of Jesus. That's the kind of person the centurions were. And this guy, when he hears Jesus cry out in agony and abandonment, what does? and then the temple is torn, and now what does he confess? Surely, This man was, what? The Son of God. Wow. Wow. Church, check this out. Mark announces in the beginning of this book, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And nobody throughout the whole book gets it. Peter doesn't get it. James doesn't get it. John doesn't get it. None of Jesus' friends get it. None of the people He healed gets it. Everyone was totally, completely confused. And here Jesus is slaughtered, bleeding, hammered, whipped, crown of thorns, feeling abandoned, and in the face of Jesus hung on the cross a wicked violent Roman centurion gets it and proclaims that Jesus Christ is exactly who He is, the Son of God. Church, here are a couple of big ideas for me. Number one, we should be very careful about proclaiming Christ unless we get the truth about who He is And the truth about who He is centers on the fact that He was slaughtered for our sins. He's a lot of things. A healer. A wonder worker. He feeds the hungry. He's a lot of things. But the real truth of who He is is seen in His total self-sacrificing gift being the slaughtered lamb on the cross. So now, church, the secret's out. The secret's out. And the one who got it first, I mean, just think about this. The, The first person, according to Mark, that actually got it the first person that actually got it was a Roman centurion, a wicked, violent man got it when he came face to face with the cross of Jesus Christ. 
today, church. Here's my hope. My hope is that we got it today. Amen? That who Jesus is centers around the cross. And that as we get it, we will be able to go and tell in a way that helps others to get it. Amen? So what, what do I want us to walk away with here today? At this moment, a centurion believed the truth about who Jesus was. Do you believe the truth about who He is? Amen. You believe it. He's the, he's the sacrifice for the sins of the world. He's the slaughtered lamb. We get it. He's the Son of God. Not, not the conqueror. Well, someday He'll be that, right? But He's not here to fix the Romans or make the world run my way. He's here to save me from sin by forgiving me and transforming me. We get it. And because we get it, we can talk about it, right? I think if we get this, that He's the Son of God and the Son of God was slaughtered for the sins of the world, then instead of saying, don't tell anyone, the message is, go tell everyone. In fact, Roman, uh, 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 excuse me, Mark 16, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. <laughs> what a change. What a change. He said to them, go into how much of the world? All the world and preach the good news to how much? All creation. What a change. What a change. We're going to sing, lift high the cross. And that's our goal here. As a church, that's my goal in our meetings. It is to tell the story of Jesus in a compelling way. And so let's sing together, lift high the cross, and uh, let's realize that Jesus doesn't need to be a secret in our lives unless we don't know about the cross. If we know about the cross, it's not a secret anymore. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank You for the gift of Your Son. Father, we thank You that we see Christ lifted up on the cross and we see who You and who He really is. Father, may, may the crucified Savior who rescued a hard-hearted centurion who nailed your hands to the cross. May we know that that same loving and saving Christ is loving us and saving us. And God, may we go out and tell the world the truth about the kind of person that you are. And may you empower our testimony. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.